Fraser Health under fire. Hallway medicine is just not adequate. The growing crisis in Surrey Healthcare and the urgent summit to brainstorm solutions. Holding Atira to account. Are you going to be transparent with the public as far as the results of all of these reviews? Yes. Full disclosure. The embattled housing provider's new boss and what she says will change under her watch. Plus, the scent of a woman stored in a jar. With the stored scent, it makes it so much easier for us because we can go right to work. A new way to search for missing people and the Saanich duo hot on the trail. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie and Chris are off tonight. We begin with an extraordinary summit to deal with a health care emergency in Surrey that is putting patient lives at risk. As doctors sound the alarm about conditions at Surrey Memorial Hospital, health care providers and local leaders came together today to find solutions. Grace Key is live now with more on the summit. And Grace, was anything achieved? Well, the special health summit wasn't open to the media and no specific details were released in the end. But a report is expected in the coming months that will outline specific key areas of concern and recommended actions. Healthcare workers, politicians and first responders met at Surrey City Hall to brainstorm solutions and what many say is a crisis at Surrey Memorial Hospital. Surrey Hospital's foundation, the fundraising agency, called this special health summit. When we look at where dollars are spent by the provincial and federal governments, it's north of the Fraser every single time. The growth in this region, in Metro Vancouver, is here, south of the Fraser. This is a great first step that... Um, colleagues came together and we also had leadership and uh, politicians um, and we all come, came and, and, and uh, brainstormed and constructed a list of what the problems are. The meeting comes after ER doctors and most recently OBGYNs at Surrey Memorial released open letters describing critically inadequate resources. In one case resulting, they say, in the death of a newborn in 2021. As standard procedure, the chief coroner is investigating. We're all scared to go to work. We all, you know, walk in thinking, what is today going to bring? And it often feels like a battlefield. And uh, I've had many colleagues say that they are now practicing defensive medicine because they're afraid of litigation. The summit comes on the same day Fraser Health issued long-awaited emergency department wait times. Global News also obtained an email from Fraser Health calling on hospitalists to backfill some 18 shifts, both efforts to deal with congestion. What would be concerning to me is if we're not reaching out to each other to ask for help and to support each other when there are gaps. Previously, the health minister said they are working on a contract with hospitalists, a shortage ER doctors have identified. Both BC United Surrey MLAs attended this summit. The NDPs did not. We're talking about deaths and the fact that we see such a disparity between what is being reported on the front lines of health care and the minister's failure to acknowledge the depth of this crisis is shocking. Grace, how busy is Surrey's emergency room? What are the latest numbers tonight? Well, Surrey Memorial is the province's second largest hospital in the province here, but it's got one of the busiest emergency departments. So 2019 numbers show more than 158,000 visits to emergency. And, you know, it's certainly not uncommon for the emergency department to be running at more than 100% capacity. Jordan? All right, thank you. Grace Key reporting live. 
Meantime, medical staff at Surrey Memorial are calling out their leadership, accusing Fraser Health executives of not properly planning to serve the region's health care needs. As a result, they say patient care is being compromised and the number of preventable deaths is rising. Richard Zussman now with that part of the story. A call for accountability. Clearly, we're at a crisis level, multiple hospitals. Everything is not okay. Patients are suffering. In some cases, they're losing their lives. It is a paragraph in bold, figuratively and literally standing out. In a public letter from OBGYNs at Surrey Memorial Hospital, it reads, We emphatically urge our community not to tolerate this degree of neglect from individuals who have the capacity to drive change at the regional and provincial levels. Those individuals include the head of Fraser Health, CEO Dr. Victoria Lee, who says she's meeting with the doctors raising concerns. The team is pointing out the resource challenges uh, that has I think, long history of where it came from. Health Minister Adrian Dix, also among those criticized by frontline doctors, the health minister standing by the leadership at Fraser Health, even though some in the staff have clearly lost confidence. I do want to remind everyone of the really exceptional work that Dr. Lee and her team have done for the last number of years, which surely have been amongst the most difficult in public health care the significant reduction in wait times for surgery and diagnostic care. Both Lee and Dix acknowledge there was a staffing problem at Surrey Memorial, but say population growth, the COVID-19 pandemic, and a global shortage of trained medical workers is out of their hands. Doctors of BC says making a change in leadership won't solve the multitudes of problems. I think it is really more about frustration and moral injury and burnout that leads us to where we are and the call for an individual to be held account for this. This isn't an individual problem. I genuinely believe that everyone in this system understands the gravity of the situation. Former Surrey Mayor Diane Watts says there's been a lack of investment in the community and a lack of acknowledgement from the current government on how significant the issue is. The, the system is broken and the system needs to be fixed. And Richard joins us now. Richard, with all of these staffing problems at Surrey Memorial, is there any chance the hospital might go on diversion and send patients elsewhere? Yeah, this is one of the things, Jordan, that is being suggested by the staff at the hospital. So another letter has been sent now from the staff to Dr. Victoria Lee from Fraser Health and Health Minister Adrian Dix. And in it, they propose two things either more staffing or if they can't diversion so let's look at that letter and it reads we implore you to take immediate action to bolster the availability of hospitalist physicians to the ed at smh and if you cannot do this the only responsible recourse is to place the surrey memorial hospital er on diversion i spoke to health minister adrian dix a short time ago he says the hospital would not go on diversion but when i pushed him about whether more people would be hired he said this is an issue along the line, not just in the emergency room, and they are focused in on transitioning people out of the hospital and into different departments to ease the pressure on the emergency room. We also know that Dix will be meeting with Dr. Lee tomorrow and others at Fraser Health as they continue to have discussions on how to address these concerns at Surrey Memorial and throughout the Fraser Health system. All right, and of course, we'll be on top of that. Richard, thanks. The embattled nonprofit that is the largest social housing provider in BC has a new CEO who is tasked with cleaning up an organization in disarray. Ramina Dea reports on the new woman in charge and what critics say still needs to be done. 
We've seen fiery deaths, horrendous living conditions, no transparency. The province's largest nonprofit housing provider, which received over 70 million taxpayer dollars last year, has a new boss. Interim CEO Catherine Room, appointed by Atira's board, not the NDP government. This organization is committed to rebuilding trust. Two goals, get Atira's financial house in order and safety. Room, who has deep experience in the private and public sectors, is taking over July 1st. Former Atira CEO Janice Abbott resigned earlier this month, one week after a damning BC Housing financial audit, which revealed a conflict of interest related to Abbott's marriage to former BC Housing CEO Shane Ramsey. Abbott now gone, but there have been no changes to Atira's board. This scandal all happened under this board. All the problems, the mismanagement happened under this board. Are you guys taking responsibility for your role in this? Yes, in answer to the question, I believe right now we're standing in front of you sharing our plan in an effort to take that responsibility as a board. Part of the plan, an independent third-party review of Atira in conjunction with a BC Housing financial and operational review, plus the return of almost $2 million to BC Housing. We're not assigning them any new projects, so there's no additional projects going to Atira right now. Transparency. We've been a, we, we need to be able to see how contracts are being awarded. These things should all be public, uh, and there's going to have to be a lot of scrutiny. The SRO model is really, first of all, not what people want, but more importantly for the general public, it's, it's not the approach that results in the greatest achievable changes for individuals and for the communities that they live in. No commitment by Atira's new CEO to change the broken SRO model. Residents and staff who recently unionized, citing safety concerns, waiting to see if a room can deliver tangible change. Romina Dea, Global News. A very close call in West Vancouver this morning. A parked West Van Blue bus rolled down the hill at Chatham Street in Nelson Avenue and Horseshoe Bay, taking out several street signs before coming to rest just meters from the side of a house. Police say the driver got out to fix a door and the bus started rolling away. The driver was unable to get back into the bus and sustained minor injuries. Thankfully, the two passengers on board walked away unhurt. There has been a fatal motorcycle crash in Surrey. It happened at the intersection of 168th Street and Fraser Highway shortly before 2 o'clock this afternoon. There was not much left of the motorcycle that could be seen on the ground next to a commercial vehicle. RCMP say the rider suffered significant injuries and first responders were not able to save the person. The road is closed as an investigation is underway to determine what caused the crash. Well, the city of Surrey says it is working to make its roads safer one intersection at a time. By implementing tried-and-true measures, stats show collisions overall are dropping. But as Janet Brown reports, there's a lot more work to be done. You have a higher level of comfort for the driver, a higher level of comfort for the pedestrian. Uh, it's a win-win situation. The city of Surrey is working to make dozens of intersections safer. Like here at 64th and the King George Boulevard. Traveling north. 
Among several new measures, the distance it takes for pedestrians to get across the road is now being shortened by installing so-called islands. So this is the pedestrian uh, refuge area or the pork chop island and uh, it does reduce the distance that we have to tr uh, travel before we cross the street. And so far, the efforts are paying off, according to the city. In three years, the number of pedestrians killed or injured has dropped dramatically from 381 in 2018 down to 229 in 2020, which could be partly attributed to fewer vehicles on the road that year. Incidents involving motorcyclists are also on the decline, and cyclists are also being monitored. However, some people who use crosswalks say more could be done. I don't feel safe. You don't feel safe using this crossing even no. though there, the improvements have been made? No. No, I think they should improve a little bit more. I've literally seen two or three accidents there already, like uh, where ambulances have been here picking people up off the sidewalk. That is going to just decrease any kind of accidents or uh, it's just going to help them move faster. The intersection improvements can cost up to several million dollars depending on the changes. We look at uh, the data to see which intersections are the uh, highest risk and then that's uh, a place to direct our money. The city's goal is to eliminate all fatal and serious injury collisions on Surrey roads and says it is also looking to other cities around the world for ideas on how best to try and do that. Janet Brown, Global News. Police on Vancouver Island are looking for two witnesses in a sexual assault investigation. On May 16th, just before 7 p.m., North Cowichan Duncan RCMP responded to reports of a woman being sexually assaulted by an unknown man. No suspect was found. Police want to talk to this man who helped the victim get to a gas station where she was able to call for help. He's described as wearing a black T-shirt and gray shorts. The second person who was in the area and police believe may have information is described as wearing a blue tank top and black shorts. Police stressing that the two men are not suspects. Burnout when school's out. We have over half of the teachers in the province don't feel like their mental and physical health is good. Teachers just got a new contract, but their union says classroom conditions are far from ideal. The stress they want the government to address. Next on the News Hour. Let's go this way. Meet Lucy, the wonder dog. Not only the eyes of her owner, but also newly trained in scent trailing. How it's already paying dividends later. Plus. We've imagined that uh, these could be converted to almost a cave style uh, hot pool. Look familiar? The new idea for an old enclosure in Stanley Park. That's later. Right now, a new survey from the B.C. Teachers Federation shows teachers are still having a tough time in and out of the classroom. The Federation's president says with both recruitment and retention still an issue, teachers are feeling burned out. Catherine Urquhart has the details. B.C. teachers say they are more stressed and overworked compared to a year ago. That from the BC Teachers Federation, which has just completed a survey of its 49,000 members. I think that's concerning for us as professionals. I think it should be concerning for everyone in the public, particularly those who, who have children in the K-12 public education system. According to the survey, 81.5% said they experienced direct impacts from teacher shortages in their schools or districts. 62.3% said they feel unable to get their students the supports they need. And 35.9% do not take personal or sick leave days when they need them. The Federation says a recruitment and training strategy is needed. 
adding it's not exactly sure how many teachers need to be hired. So we don't have numbers, but I can tell you in some of our, our local, some of the districts, uh, they're approaching a quarter or a third of the workforce at times. Adding to education concerns, Surrey Mayor Brenda Locke recently called the school infrastructure problem a crisis. We are now talking about double stacking portables. We are talking about in September up to 400 uh, portables in Surrey schools. This is becoming untenable. Education Minister Rachna Singh told Global News, we are adding nearly 250 new spaces in teacher education programs and streamlining certification for educators trained internationally so they can work in BC. In December, teachers accepted a new collective agreement with increases of 3.24% in year one, up to 6.75% in year two, and up to 3% in year three, Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A program that helps BC's youth in care with expanded supports into adulthood now has a new name. Strengthening Abilities and Journeys of Empowerment, or SAGE, was chosen by the Youth Advisory Council. The program has been around since last year and will see additional supports added until 2024. Recent services added include $1,000 for dental care every year, $600 every year for eye care, and expanded housing flexibility for those between 19 and 21. We know that for young people from um, government care, they're all at different stages of recovering from trauma, being able to engage in training programs, and, uh, and having cultural connections and cultural supports as well. So all of these suite of services are available up to the age of 27, so that when young people are ready, they will be able to access the services and build that, that suite of services that best meets their needs at that time. The ministry says one major part of the program is offering rent supplements of up to $600 a month with no earnings exemption. Until now, 1,100 young adults have received monthly rent supplements. Alberta votes in the closest election in its history. Well, thank you. Thank you, Alberta. Danielle Smith's United Conservative Party wins a majority government. As the divide in that province deepens, what it could all mean for B.C. just ahead. It's great that the hatchery is going to be available to everybody. And later, the changes at the Mawson Creek Hatchery and how they've made a big difference for kids like Spencer. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith and her United Conservatives survived an NDP scare last night, managing to hold on to their majority. Now, the reality of governing a more deeply divided province is setting in. Global's Michael King reports. It's the closest election Alberta has ever seen, a fact that isn't lost on many Albertans. It's always good to be challenged from both sides. I think it's, it's good to have, that's what a democracy is all about. If it keeps on like this, people are just going to be creating enemies with each other. Premier Daniel Smith and the United Conservatives were completely shut out in Edmonton and suffered some blows in Calgary, losing a number of ministers. Two ridings in southwest Calgary were won by fewer than 100 votes, which will trigger an automatic recount, although the UCP's majority isn't under threat. Now Smith says it's time to help heal the divide that's been highlighted by this election. 
It was a, a pretty fractious uh, contest, but I'm, I'm really confident because I've got representation from Fort McMurray and Grand Prairie, Red Deer, Medicine Hat, Lethbridge, Calgary, and the area around Edmonton. I, I think we're going to put together a really diverse cabinet that's going to, to represent the interests of all Albertans. And Many educators and those on the front lines of Alberta's health care system are concerned about what the next four years will bring. Alberta Teachers Association President Jason Schilling says he fears further cuts, larger classes, and a curriculum that he says would not be setting students up for success. While some business leaders are encouraged by promises of infrastructure projects like Calgary's Event Centre and the Green Line. We've been building some momentum on behalf of our members and on behalf of industry, so it's good that to some degree we can just pick up and keep going. As for Alberta's relationship with Ottawa, Smith says it's time to start fresh, but that she won't back down on protecting the province's energy sector. We'll see how that relationship unfolds, but I, I did let him know that I, I think we're all better off when Alberta is allowed to thrive, because when we do well, the rest of the country does well. And that's, that's the spirit that I'm going into this new mandate with. A four-year mandate she says she's laser-focused on, yet governing a seemingly divided province may be the toughest task yet. Michael King, Global News. So what does it all mean for BC? Keith Baldry joins us now with more on that. Keith. Yeah, I want to take a closer look at that rural-urban divide, Jordan. We where one political party is dominant in the rural areas, another one is dominant in urban and suburban, is now taking place in Alberta. Take a look at the numbers here. You saw some of them in Michael's piece. But, for example, the NDP, now the party of choice in Edmonton, taking all 20 seats there, taking now for the first time in history a majority of the ridings in Calgary, 14 to 12 compared to the United Conservatives. And the United Conservatives now, the dominant party, and their caucus is dominated by rural MLAs. And this is, again, a phenomena that is going to have an impact potentially on its relationship relationship with other provinces, particularly B.C., where you've got a significantly right-wing government in place now versus a center-left government here in B.C. We talked to political scientist Stuart Press, says that's going to create some unfamiliarity and some unpredictability with such a rural-dominated caucus right next door to B.C. Danielle Smith has proven herself to be something of an unpredictable leader. We don't exactly know what's going to come out of this UCP government with uh, a, a caucus that that spans the gamut from relatively centrist uh, conservative figures to to uh, a number of, uh, of uh, members from the Wild Rose, Old Wild Rose Coalition, which tends to take a much more radical view of politics in this this country. So the seat count could still change, Jordan. The NDP holds one seat in Calgary right now by just seven votes. That's going to a recount. Uh, the UCP holds two seats in Calgary by less than 150 votes. Those will likely go to recounts as well. But even if those seats flip one way or another, it's not going to change the fact that Daniel Smith has a majority government. All right. Thanks for this, Keith. All right. Weather conditions are impacting the fire battle raging in Nova Scotia. The potential for reburn is very real. Thousands remain out of their homes as new fires challenge crews already stretched thin. Also ahead, why drivers should brace for extended delays along a critical Okanagan highway. Thousands across Nova Scotia are waiting to return home as out-of-control wildfires are keeping crews busy. But firefighters at the blaze near Halifax say there is plenty of fuel to keep that fire grow going. Global's Kyle Benning has the latest tonight. The thousands of people forced out of their homes are still waiting to get back. The 10 Talon wildfire just outside of Halifax is leaving many to worry about whether they will have anything to come back to. The house is, is just gone. foundation. 
It's just a foundation. Our next door neighbor, his house is, uh, the, the siding is melted on one side. We wanted to see if the place was okay, but the main thing, we wanted to get our medication as well. I don't have any clothes. I've been just going and buying things as I needed them. But it's more like, do my kids have their home? Halifax Regional Fire and Emergency says it still has dozens of firefighters on site to put out the blaze, which did not grow overnight. But weather conditions and the fire's path means there are still plenty of fuel to burn. We're not asking them to stay away from their homes uh, because that's what we want to do. We're asking them to stay away from their homes because it's the safest thing for them to do. The potential for reburn is very real. Halifax officials stated about 200 structures were damaged or completely destroyed from the wildfire. And Nova Scotia's premier says despite a province-wide burn ban, conservation officers found that people ignited six fires Monday. For God's sake, stop burning, stop flicking your cigarette butts out your car window, just stop it. Uh, our resources are stretched incredibly thin right now fighting existing fires. The province is stopping all personal and commercial activity across Nova Scotia's woods in response to eight new fires. The province is now dealing with about a dozen active blazes, with three being out of control. Officials say they're bringing in resources from outside of the province and are reaching out to see if U.S. agencies can send help. Meanwhile, Ottawa says New Brunswick has indicated its intention to seek federal assistance as that province deals with a wildfire that has seen 160 people evacuated from their homes. The damage is, is significant enough to, to initiate the process of the disaster financial assistance arrangement. And so we appreciate that and we're communicating with them that we're, we'll begin to work on, with them on those recovery funds as quickly as possible. Like Nova Scotia, New Brunswick is also under a fire ban and things are not forecasted to ease through the week with hot, dry weather expected Wednesday. Kyle Benning, Global News. An update tonight on traffic delays along a busy stretch of Highway 97 in the South Okanagan. It was two weeks ago when a landslide came down in Summerland, closing the highway for hours. Now work is underway to improve safety. And as Claudia Van Emmerich reports, that means traffic delays will continue for some time yet. Delays along a busy stretch of Highway 97 south of Summerland as vehicles traveling in opposite directions take turns bypassing a construction project aimed at improving safety. And what do you think about the single lane alternating traffic? Um, it's a hindrance, but it'll pass too, I think. The safety work comes in the wake of a landslide when the silt bluff gave way on May 15th. Debris fell down onto the road below and covered all four lanes of highway and forced it to close for hours. Now work is underway to build a retaining wall before the highways fully open again. The Minister of Transportation says it is creating additional catchment below the bluff so that debris doesn't end up on the road should there be a slide here again. In an email to Global News, the ministry said last week's geotechnical assessments recommended construction of a lock block retaining wall to increase the debris catchment area and increase safety prior to reopening additional lanes. I was here a week ago and it was delayed, so I'm surprised that it's still delayed. And the delays are expected for at least another two weeks, possibly longer, depending on weather and site conditions, as crews work to complete the project. While the District of Summerland sympathizes with motorists, it believes it's short-term pain for long-term gain. That's the great reminder to, to people that use that highway every day. It is a bit frustrating to have that delay right now, but... The, the benefit in the future is to avoid this happening again in some of these key areas. Motorists encouraged to check Drive BC for any updates on the latest project and the delays as a result of it. Claudia Van Ammer, Global News, 
Summerland. A popular Port Moody destination has achieved new heights when it comes to accessibility. Ready, set, away. The Mossam Creek Hatchery is now accessibility certified gold. Rick Hansen was on hand to mark the occasion. Volunteers installed automatic door openers, better wheelchair access, and larger signs to make it more welcoming to people of all abilities. The hatchery is the first of its kind to get the certification and the first site in Port Moody. The volunteers here were just remarkable, and they have taken a site that was pretty good and made it better, and they made it usable for more people. Uh, that's the whole idea, is not to just make it perfect, but just make it usable so that everybody can come visit. It's great that the hatchery is going to be available to everybody. Like, it's just so amazing. I was uh, listening to the presentation and checking out the fish, and I was even feeding them, and, it's, and it's, it felt really great. It's hoped the hatchery can serve as an example for other facilities across the country. Well, talk about a next-level working canine. When Lucy really got into scent and we were close, she took off running. How a Paralympian trained her seeing-eye dog to also be a super-sniffing pooch in their recent successful rescue. Plus, the growing out-of-control fire burning on northern Vancouver Island. Canterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Traffic is moving well in both directions, but do keep in mind there are delays during the overnight hours south of the tunnel on Highway 99 for overnight road work. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $65 million plus an estimated eight max millions. Lotto Max dreamed of the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Massey Tunnel. All your local news. All your breaking news. All the news you need. Get it at 6. Global News Hour at 6. Police are looking to identify a group of young people who caused thousands of dollars damage to a Port Moody sports field. An accelerant was used to set several fires on the turf behind the Port Moody Recreation Complex late Friday night. A group of youths was seen fleeing the area along the shoreline trail. Damage is estimated at up to $4,000. The fire rating in Port Moody right now is high. If you have any information on the case, you are asked to contact Port Moody Police. Wildfire crews are dealing with an aggressive blaze on northern Vancouver Island. The Newcastle Creek fire is burning out of control five and a half kilometers west of Sayward. It was reported yesterday and is estimated at 90 hectares. Gusty winds helped fuel the fire overnight. And today, 55 firefighters are trying to contain it, supported by three helicopters and water tenders. There is heavy smoke in the area, but no evacuation orders or alerts are in effect at this time. Let's check in with senior meteorologist Christy Gordon. And cooler on the south coast today, Christy, but still no rain, and that's what we really need. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, in Coquitlam, fire danger rating high. That's the case right across the South Coast area. New fire in Sayward just yesterday. Also a new fire in the Squamish area. By the way, the fire in the, in the Sayward area seems to be traveling or migrating parallel to uh, the city, so not towards it, which is good news. Um, but it was human cause, so it's a great example of 
being really, really careful. Don't throw cigarette butts out your window, for example. We've got an air quality statement in place for eastern sections of Vancouver Island. Currently, the air quality health index for those areas is at a moderate level. We also saw a lot of smoke across the lower mainland. This is the scene out there right now and through uh, English Bay. Very hazy, but for our region, the air quality health index is still at a low level. It's just bringing in a bit of haze. Now, this is the forecast. As Jordan mentioned, still no rain in the forecast as far as we can see. We are going to warm up into the weekend, but especially next week, we have the potential for another mini heat wave where temperatures away from the water could be close to 30 degrees. So we'll be tracking that very closely, but it looks like that's a good potential. So here's the forest fire danger rating across the region, and we're going to continue to see those those colors migrate towards the oranges and reds, which is a high to very high level. And we right now only have one campfire ban in the province, and that's for the Prince George area through the northeastern portion. All other areas in orange are you're allowed to have campfires, uh, but not, just nothing bigger than that. So there's your forecast. We are expecting some rainfall for the north coast. That's one area that's not too bad, but still warm and dry all across the interior regions. It will be near seasonal for the south coast. 18 degrees is where we should be for this time of year, and we are expecting some cloud cover tomorrow. But back to mainly sunny skies Thursday through the weekend, and temperatures will warm up areas away from the water come the weekend, 26 degrees and into next week, as we mentioned, close to 30 degrees. Tonight's center windows weather window coming to you from the Nest Lake area, which is just outside of Prince George. Chris capturing this adorable moment of a mom and her cub. Jordan, back to you. Very cute. Thank you, Christy. An amazing story from Vancouver Island tonight, where a blind Paralympian and her specially trained golden retriever Lucy were able to track down a missing person with dementia. Kylie Stanton now with more on what is just the latest accomplishment of Jessica Tuamela. When it comes to blazing trails, Jessica Tuamala is a bit of a master. I've been an um, elite athlete and I went to three Paralympic Games as a swimmer. Got really intrigued by triathlon. And so when it came to adding scent trailing to the list, a method of search and rescue that involves tracking the scents of missing persons, the 39-year-old was up for the challenge. Started reaching out to different organizations and different companies um, across Canada and across the U.S., trying to see if there was anyone who would want to work with me. That's where Lucy comes in. I am completely blind. I trust a dog to keep me safe and, like, and you know, keep me alive, essentially. <laughs> Good girl, Lucy. But now together, they're keeping yeah. others alive yeah. as well. See your head, a little pressure. The pair trained extensively with the help of Scent Evidence Canine based in Tallahassee, Florida. Good girl. Yeah. Whether it's a child, an elderly person with memory loss, or a vulnerable member of society, Lucy can now track a person's scent. This is a very simple tool. What's proven even more effective if it's collected in a scent preservation kit prior to the search event. Everybody's scent specific to themselves. So it's just like your DNA or your fingerprint. Uh, we've actually done trails and trials with identical twins and the dogs are able to pick between the two. Nearly two weeks ago when Tuamala's elderly neighbor went missing, the duo had a chance to put that training to the test. The woman's scent, which had been captured and stored, was presented to Lucy and off they went. Took us over three kilometers um, and about just over 40 minutes. And then in no time I got a, a call from Jessica. I've got her, she's alive. Hello. It would mark the 450th find for Scent Evidence Canine and its partners, a monumental milestone they're hoping to build on 
Knowing all too well, not all paths lead to home. If there's a way to keep family members safe, um, you know, and, and be proactive, then then let's do it. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria. Dogs can do anything. Speaking of multi-talented, here's Squire. Thank you very much. I would wag my tail, but I don't. <laughs> uh, we're going to talk about the, uh, well, it was a rather rough outing, to say the least, for Whitecaps keeper Thomas Assault last Saturday. So how does he bounce back from that? Even though he's the backup goalie, he's going to have to bounce back. We'll also talk about the upcoming Stanley Cup final between the Panthers and the Golden Knights, who have been golden ever since they came into the NHL. Thank you, Squire. Also ahead. It has kind of a complicated past. The new idea for the old polar bear enclosure in Stanley Park. <laughs> Squires back and a familiar face back with the Lions. That is true. And you know that Rick Campbell, the Lions head coach, must be very comfortable with his job because he hired a former head coach of the BC Lions today. He has brought back Mike Benavides. He'll be the uh, consultant for the Lions special teams. He will be on the sidelines. Now, of course, he was a longtime Lion from 2003 to 2014. Began as an assistant coach for Wally Buono as the special teams guy. Moved up to defense, then became the head coach from 2012 to 2014. Had a 33-21 regular season record. Not great in the playoffs. He was let go in 2014. Also worked with Edmonton and Ottawa before coming back to BC. Now the Whitecaps will host Houston tomorrow at BC Place after a 3-1 loss last Saturday in St. Louis where Whitecaps backup goalkeeper Thomas Assault's worst nightmare was there for all to see. As cruel as it sounds, the Whitecaps might have at least gotten a point out of this game if Hassall had even had an average night. Instead, he has to use this as a painful learning experience for the next time he plays for the big club, whenever that is. Leuven hits it nicely. Oh! Edward Leuven hit that one from the Mississippi River. It was a ball over his head. There was a miscommunication with his own player, Tristan Blackman, that led to a goal, and also fumbling away a rebound that led to a third goal. Now, this kind of night can happen to anyone. The key, though, is to learn from it fast. This is the most important part. This is when it becomes a mental battle. Um, at the same time, this is the kind of stuff that you see players either you know, progress one way or another. It's what you use as fuel at the end of the day. Mistakes are the only way for us in order to grow. And uh, he needs to grow, he needs to bounce back. And uh, he's very good at bouncing back. He bounced back for, from a concussion. He bounced back from a, from a hand broken last year, getting back at the end of the season and be very good. He was two times in the team of the, in the, in the team of the week at the end of the season last year. So when will Hassall get a chance to bounce back? He was in Saturday because Yohei Takayoka needed a rest. Now that he's rested, he will own the net for a while. Yeah, it's hard when you're not playing as much because it's, it's your opportunity that you want to take advantage of. And when you're playing again and again, you know, mistakes are always going to happen. And when you've got games coming left and right, um, it's easier not to look at them as such a big thing. Hassal will probably be allowed to get his game back together by playing goal for the Whitecaps' second team 
In fact, part of his rough start against St. Louis was rust from not playing at all of late. It's on me, too. It's on me, too, because probably he needed a couple of games with WFC, too, before, before playing this game. So we now know that uh, we need to keep everyone uh, ready in order to play, and uh, we, we go forward from that. Should mention Vanny was fined today by the MLS because he mouthed off the officials oh. after the game. Not towards them, but <laughs> said it in his press conference. So they don't like that when you criticize. Uh, back in September, before the NHL season even began, if you looked at the odds for winning the Stanley Cup, Vegas and Florida were two of the teams that were given very good chances. Now, the Panthers had just come off winning the President's Trophy. You kind of forget about that. They barely made the playoffs this year, but last year in the regular season, they were the best team. Vegas had surprisingly missed the playoffs, but they were still good. Now these two are going to meet in the Stanley Cup final starting Saturday just off the strip. Now, if you look at the Golden Knights, they've only been in the league six years. Look at their six years. They've made the final now twice. They've made the final four four times. They've only missed the playoffs once. If you look at the Canucks in those six years, they made the playoffs once, and that was in the bubble playoffs when pretty much everybody got in because of the pandemic. Oh, yes. The Vegas Golden Knights did not touch the conference trophy last night. They didn't even pick it up. They showed superstition, which, as I said before, started way back in 1997 with Eric Lindros and the Philadelphia Flyers. He didn't touch the uh, trophy that year. They played Detroit. Detroit did touch the trophy, and Detroit won in four straight games, which always leads me to this question. Why is that even a thing, then? If the first time it was done, they lost. Anyway, Florida touched. Vegas didn't, so you can see what happens. Uh, former Raptors head coach Nick Nurse has a new job. He'll be the head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers, a good team that hasn't had enough playoff success for the kind of roster it puts on the floor. And here's a fun fact. The 76ers have now hired a coach named Nurse after firing a coach named Doc. From Doc Rivers to Nick Nurse. If Nurse doesn't work out, the next guy will be named intern. There you go. Whoa. Only you could dig that up. There you go. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Coming up, relax and chill out where polar bears once lived. A new vision for a relic of the old Stanley Park Zoo up next. This program is brought to you by Johnston Meyer Insurance Agencies Group. Visit jmins.com. It's been more than 26 years since the zoo at Stanley Park was closed for good. And now a Vancouver architecture firm is making a dramatic proposal to reinvent some of its ruins as a new public space. Aaron MacArthur reports. Concrete covered in graffiti. Weeds overgrowing what looks like a relic from the Cold War. Hard to imagine, but this rundown bit of Vancouver history sits in the middle of Stanley Park. The last remnant of Vancouver Zoo. From the 1960s through the 1990s, this was where several polar bears lived. The zoo was phased out, and Tuck, the last bear who lived here, who was too old to move, was euthanized in 1997. For the nearly three decades since, the polar bear enclosure has sat empty, unused. Now a Vancouver architect wants to change the narrative. We imagine it's two new structures kind of coming into this. Space. Tony Osborne has drawn up plans to turn this eyesore into an oasis, transforming the polar bear pool into a Nordic spa. Just wanted to put it out to the public and start a conversation about the potential for this place. At this stage, the drawings, not much more than an idea, but this idea has lived in Osborne's head for more than a few years now. 
He has approached Park Board commissioners looking for support. A new business that could align with a resolution passed by the board in January looking for more revenue opportunities. We've had conversations with the aquarium. They've shown us around the facilities inside. We've had a couple chats with uh, people who operate spa uh, facilities in the region and around Canada. The idea of reclaiming this space is one Osborne thinks is appropriate. Using these troubled waters as a place of rejuvenation could put a modern stamp on a complicated piece of history. One of the reasons why we're so drawn to this place, it seems so mysterious that it's still sitting here. According to the Park Board, any proposal would be subjected to consultation with park users and indigenous groups. But the board welcomes out-of-the-box solutions. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. You know, there's an urban legend that Tuck once saved a kitten that ended up in its pool. Really? Put it in its paws and handed it back. Handed it back? Apparently. <laughs> this is what the internet told me. I'd love to know ah. if it's true. But I did, how would he have gotten up there to hand it back gently? I don't know. Yeah. I'd yeah. like to know. His extendo arms. Message us if you worked at the zoo back in the day. Yeah. Christy. Go, go, gadget, polar bear with the extended That's arms. That's what I was yeah. thinking. I go, know you're going with that. Yeah. Christy, final word on weather? Yeah, so we still have no rain in the forecast. That's great news for everyone. Just be really careful when you're enjoying. Uh, yeah, temperatures will climb as we head into the weekend and definitely hot early next week. That's the news hour. Thanks for watching.